Welcome, everyone, to this University Center for Economic Development podcast. My name is Frederick Steinman, and I'm an assistant research professor with the University Center for Economic Development, part of the college business here at the University of Nevada, Reno. And it's my pleasure today to introduce one of our guests, Doug Thornley, who is an attorney with Holland and Hart. And today you will be listening to a podcast regarding opportunity zones. Welcome, Doug. Good morning, Fred. Nice to be here. Well, we appreciate you being here as well. For those of you listening, Doug has a considerable amount of experience uh, in municipal land use financing and legal issues uh, and has been very involved in the state of Nevada in the development and execution of opportunity zones. And we certainly are privileged to have him here today. I'm going to let Doug do the majority of the talking today as he is the man when it comes to opportunity zones. And the first question, Doug, I have for you, tell us a little bit about opportunity zones. What are they? An opportunity zone, Fred, is a census-designated tract that is economically distressed. And the way they measure that, by and large, is by per capita income within that district. The Tax Cut and Jobs Act, passed in late 2017, provided for certain tax incentives for people who want to reinvest realized capital gains into these areas. And so the governors of the 50 states designated these particular areas within their states, and then Treasury certified them as opportunity zones. So there are 8,700 opportunity zones across the country, and there are 61 in the state of Nevada. Why do you think the income uh, qualification was, was instituted and used to define what is and what is not an opportunity zone? The policy idea behind the Opportunity Zone program is essentially the federal government is looking to incentivize investment into areas that otherwise might not see the economic development in perhaps more robust areas throughout the country. And so to do that, to support economic development in those areas, what the, what the government has done is said, all right, if you have a realized capital gain, if within 180 days from the point of realization, you invested into what's called a qualified opportunity fund, we'll provide you with certain tax incentives, provided that you check off other criteria. And primarily, I think just for the ease of use, there are two primary benefits to investing in an opportunity zone if you do it through the opportunity fund. And the first is there's a tax deferral component and a tax abatement component. Um, so essentially, if you hold your investment in an opportunity zone for five years, you'll get a 10% step up in basis on your realized gain. If you hold it for seven, you'll get an additional 5% step up for a total of 15% step up in the basis. What that means for the average person is that if you had that realized gain, not only would you not pay taxes on it for that period, but you'd see a reduction in your tax liability of up to 15%. Fantastic. And there's actually one more, right? And so the tax abatement portion of, of the program is if you hold your investment for a 10-year period, then any incremental growth from the from the investment would be tax-free. So there is a liquidity event in 2027 where you pay your 2026 taxes. If you had checked all the boxes, you would pay 85% of the tax owed on that original capital gain. If you then hold for the additional period, any, any incremental gain you see from that investment is tax-free. Fantastic incentive to encourage private development in otherwise economically challenged areas. Maybe you've already answered this question, but maybe you could highlight it for our listeners. 
in Nevada, we have things like redevelopment districts and special assessment districts, tax increment areas, tax improvement districts, uh, general improvement districts, a whole wide variety of different economic development financing tools. Uh, Maybe you could provide just kind of an underscore definition of how opportunity zones maybe differ from those other types of economic development financing tools, or maybe how they're similar and how they can work together. You know, I think um, at the outset, it's important to understand that the Opportunity Zone legislation affects only your federal tax liability. And so to the extent there are other state programs, there are other state initiatives, they're not necessarily affecting one another. I think what you what you might see is, particularly in redevelopment areas, uh, you might see a certain synergy between the programs where a local government is incentivizing development in their defined redevelopment district. And to the extent um, that that coexists in the same space as a designated opportunity zone, uh, it's kind of a, a, a bonus incentive uh, for developers and for investors to to make these changes that the local government is trying to incentivize. You know, a, a special assessment district, um, an improvement district, certain I guess tax increment financing would would fall into that same redevelopment category. But the other special taxing districts are are essentially mechanisms by which we operate government where we might otherwise not be able to afford to. And so I'm not certain that the Opportunity Zone legislation has direct impact there. But certainly redevelopment areas, tax increment financing areas, which tend to coexist in redevelopment areas, um, those are additional those are additional programs that might make, uh, development in those spaces more appealing to to people who otherwise might have to take a pass. Now, with that said, I think our experience to date with opportunity zones and certainly with tax increment financing is that it, it doesn't make a bad project good. It makes a good project better. And so I think it's a long way of saying there are certain opportunities to pursue projects that local governments and the state government are are interested in seeing completed that become more appealing because of the, the tax treatment of these capital gains. I think that's a excellent points all the way around, and I think it will hopefully get local governments, municipalities, counties, and even some of our regional development authorities throughout the state really thinking about maybe what the synergies can be between an existing or maybe a newly created redevelopment district, special assessment district, general improvement district, all those various financing tools to really maximize the leverage uh, that we really can use in opportunity zones. Well, and that's kind of a, that's an interesting observation because because it, it really is a pressing issue right now. How a, a local government might be able to take advantage of, of, of this program. As you know, Treasury is having a hearing right now, actually, to clarify certain aspects of, of this law. But at present, the outside condition for this tax treatment ends in the 2026 tax year. And so while the hold period has been extended out through 2047, I, I believe, the actual tax treatment, the actual on-the-ground reduction in your tax liability, that only goes to 2027. And to maximize that opportunity, like I just said, you have to hold for seven years, and we are running into the seven-year period. And so to the extent this program is going to be taken advantage of, at least under the current law, 
we really need to get moving. Absolutely. Maybe we can back up a little bit and kind of get into the nuts and bolts of Opportunity Zones. Uh, You've already introduced a number of those topics. Another question I had for you, uh, for maybe you to provide some clarification to our listeners, uh, especially our local government people, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how an Opportunity Zone is created and whether or not local governments throughout the state can petition the state or federal entities uh, for consideration of an opportunity zone in their jurisdiction? Not at this point. Uh, At this point, the zones have been designated by then Governor Sandoval. They've been certified by Treasury without a change in the underlying law. It's my impression that the opportunity zones are are fixed. Um, Now, that's not to say that the designated opportunity zones, uh, the conditions that made them appealing won't change. Um, What Treasury has effectively said is if they change during the the pendency of your hold period, uh, you're still entitled to that tax treatment. Um, But I think that's kind of what the goal of the program is, right? That we change the the underlying economic condition of the designated zone. And so that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think, again, that that maybe provides some clarification and some certainty moving forward for the foreseeable future uh, for our municipal and county governments and, again, our regional development authorities throughout the state. If you have an opportunity zone in your jurisdiction somewhere in Nevada, 61 of them in existence already, that's pretty much how it's going to be for the foreseeable future. Um, so it might, might be wise to think about, at least in the near term, looking at those alternative financing techniques to generate, spur, and incentivize development within your jurisdiction. Sure. I mean, I two thoughts on that. Uh, the first is, from a government perspective, yes, incentivizing the type of growth you want to see, the type of development you want to see, makes a lot of sense. On the Opportunity Zone side of the equation, it helps to have a lot of money in the first instance, because uh, this tax treatment is only available for those realized gains. It's not available for other type of funding. And so the entities, the people who have the types of gains that make these projects go uh, tend to already be fairly wealthy in the first instance. Now, that's not to say that you can't commingle funds. It just makes the structure of the deal a little more difficult. Um, a second observation, though, for local governments in Nevada is that Nevada's Opportunity Zones, the placement uh, of those zones or the designation of those zones, the way they were selected, makes a great deal more sense in Nevada than perhaps in some other states. Um, You know, in some places you see exceptionally rural places designated as Opportunity Zones, and that makes it a difficult sell for any sort of developer to come through and invest in those spaces because, like we talked about, there is that liquidity event. And so the investment does have to throw off some sort of income so that you can pay the tax bill on the on the backside. Nevada has done a really good job um, in Clark County where, where these zones are designated. They are economic hotspots in Washoe County. Uh, kind of the, the downtown river corridor from Reno to Sparks makes a great deal of sense in terms of where we'd like to see investment. Out in Story County at the Tri-Center, uh, certainly we're trying to attract tech companies and other companies, and we're looking for investment in that in that space so that we can round out the diversification of the economic conditions in northern Nevada. 
I think that's an excellent point and one that might be lost on kind of the excitement of this new economic development financing tool. Uh, Even though Opportunity Zones certainly provide an incredible uh, economic and tax incentive for private development to kind of congregate in a specific geographic area like downtown Reno, like the Tahoe Reno Industrial Center in Story County, like elements and areas in Clark County and Las Vegas, uh, you still have to consider the underlying economic conditions of your community and your jurisdiction. Uh, If you're trying to bring in an advanced manufacturer, if you're trying to bring in a major retailer, if you're trying to bring in a major housing developer, if you don't have the population, if you don't have the workforce, if you don't have the underlying infrastructure, uh, you may not be able to really take advantage of those tax incentives that exist in Opportunity Zones. So going back to kind of that economic development 101, you know, what, what are the assets in my community and can I encourage and attract investment and then incentivize further uh, with the tax liability shedding that exists in the opportunity zones. Critical, critical point. I, I think that's exactly right. You know, I think by way of example, when you when you consider the types of things that you might use an opportunity zone fund for, again, by way of example, you might see some sort of tech startup where you make early investments, you take equity in the company, and then you hope it pops. In, in northern Nevada, it might be difficult to attract tech companies from the Bay Area because, well, we don't have the Class A office space to necessarily house them, and then we don't necessarily have a place to house them. And so investments in Class A office, investments in multifamily residential development, things that tend to throw off that income, like we said, so that you can pay the tax bill, but also move the economic drivers of the region forward are, are what we're looking for. Fantastic. Uh, you've already kind of touched on this already, but maybe you could go into a little bit more detail. In in your opinion, your experience, and maybe just in general, you know, what are the primary benefits of an opportunity zone? Um, and maybe kind of structure it from the private sector perspective and the public sector perspective. You know, the, the benefits are, are exactly what we've talked about for the private sector. It, it's a deferral and abatement of your tax liability. It doesn't matter whether you're a large multinational corporation or you're an individual like yourself. Um, You know, I think in general, people are looking to pay exactly the amount of taxes that they owe and not a penny more. And so if there's a a strategy to be had uh, to reduce that liability, then, then people are going to take advantage of it. It just so happens that this seems to be a socially positive program as well, where in order to get that benefit, you need to make an investment in an area that might not otherwise see the economic development that other more affluent areas are are receiving. And, and from the public sector's perspective, from the public sector's perspective, I think the you know the the benefit is is largely the same, with the observation, of course, that they don't pay taxes. And so, what it does is it it, it provides some force beyond the control of the local government that incentivizes economic development other types of development in in areas where it might have been traditionally more difficult for that local government to find traction fantastic and and again as we've kind of talked about i don't i don't want local governments com- 
counties and municipalities thinking that opportunity zones are mutually exclusive from all the other tools in the toolbox as well. Um, and again, I think local governments, again, counties, municipalities uh, need to think long and hard about the specifics of an individual project and which approach, you know, using the private sector incentives via the opportunity zone approach, or maybe more of a traditional tax increment financing approach, or maybe it's just I'll provide infrastructure, I'll provide some support in terms of the land use planning and the permitting process. Local governments need to think a little bit about the specifics of the individual project and what specific tool, be it opportunity zones or something else, best fits the project. That's right. You know, the local governments, uh, the incentives they can provide, um, certainly they're, they're distinct from the opportunity zone program. It really just comes down to how the project is funded and the and the way that funding is rolled out. Um, and so I think the, the primary benefit that local governments might consider in terms of taking advantage of these zones is, is like you said, from the planning and zoning and the permitting side. And, and how do you best get through that process in a, in a timely fashion? I don't know if it's, if it's expedited processes when you say, hey, this is an opportunity zone project. I don't know if it's some sort of, say, concierge program where you have a point person who walks you from desk to desk to desk in the, in the planning and permitting side of the house for any given local government. Um, I don't know if it's uh, a quick look at putting down an overlay in those opportunity zones and perhaps looking at uses that might not otherwise have been allowed, provided that it's an opportunity zone project as a way to incentivize that investment in, in the space food for thought, again, for all local governments throughout the state. Uh, early on, you mentioned something called an opportunity fund. I imagine that this has something to do with the way projects are financed uh, via opportunity zones. I was hoping you could take a minute or two and maybe explain to our listeners exactly how projects are financed uh, through the use of an opportunity zone and specifically that thing called an opportunity fund. Well, the, the financing component isn't necessarily different than the financing component of any other project. Um, the Opportunity Zone Fund is essentially where we, where we make an investment in order to assure that we receive the tax treatment from the Opportunity Zone program. So the Opportunity Zone, the designated Opportunity Zone, is the physical district designated uh, and approved by Treasury. The Opportunity Zone Fund is essentially a company that you make an investment in that then holds assets in those opportunity zones. And so there's a distinction between an opportunity zone fund and a qualified opportunity zone business. So an opportunity zone fund needs to hold 90% of its assets in a qualified opportunity zone. An opportunity zone, a qualified opportunity zone business needs to hold 70% of its tangible property inside that opportunity zone. And so as you layer those things together, uh, essentially the entirety of the investment needs to reach about 63% inside the opportunity zone. And so what you, what you really see when you start to structure these things out um, is that it all becomes kind of a, a puzzle for the corporate lawyers in their entity formation and, and how we handle that. And so, uh, you know, certainly if, if an individual has a, a tremendous or even a small, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a million dollars or a dollar, you can roll it all into an opportunity zone fund. Um, if an individual has a realized gain and wants to invest it 
to, to seek the tax benefits, then it's easy enough to form, say, Fredco, and, and you self-certify as a fund, and you take the tax treatment, and provided you check all the boxes, and you follow the corporate formalities, and you act like a reasonable corporate citizen, the IRS will provide you these benefits on your, on your federal tax return. It becomes more complicated uh, when you really get into how you finance deals in the real world. Uh, say you want to build something, you have this gain and you're going to invest cash into it, but your construction company wants to do a joint venture because they want a piece of the action. Well, that becomes a little more difficult in how you structure it because certainly only your gain is eligible for the tax treatment. Um, the construction company's contribution isn't necessarily. That doesn't make it a bad deal. It just means there are some complications that you need to work out. Where things get really complicated are where you have a group of investors who have all realized gains and want to go in together. Um, that's where you start to say, all right, well, we need an operating agreement that calls out the hold period and what happens if somebody has to liquidate and how we're going to handle these things. Um, you know, you can, you can separate the tax benefits, um, manager member, buy member, um, you know, your investment is your tax treatment, but uh, it does become more complex. And certainly as, as this program shakes out, I think we'll see um, probably some clarification through litigation instead of regulation, which is unfortunate. A typical process, especially with a new, relatively new economic development-like opportunity zones, um, a lot of uncertainty, I guess, still in the marketplace about how... Uh, individual corporations, companies, businesses need to form how they need to structure themselves um, and then how they conduct their affairs and their relationship with the IRS and other regulatory bodies. That's right. Um, the, you know, the, the formation stuff, like I said, is a puzzle for the corporate lawyers um, who, of course, have to go to the tax lawyers to ask about how we ought to structure operating agreements and how we're going to treat income and other, other aspects of, of the corporate operations. And they're just getting up on up to speed on on these new regulations and new approaches. Well, the regulations remain a, a moving target, right? Like we said, you know, there was a there was a clarification back in October of last year. There's a hearing today, and we anticipate additional clarification arising out of that hearing. And and that's just the Treasury side, right? The the possibility remains that that Congress will get involved at some point and make additional changes. So. Um, as long as as long as you uh, rely on a particular set, kind of in in good faith, then Treasury has indicated that they won't give you, you they won't give you too much trouble on that. But you know what that means is is a question for for lawyers. So I, I think going it alone is probably the biggest risk to to anyone who's out there just self certifying. Excellent. Um, maybe to throw you a bit of a curve mall. Um, in the world of economic development, my side of the equation, you know, we think about business retention, recruitment, and expansion. Um, and from my perspective, opportunity zones look very good from the business recruitment standpoint. You know, I have a distressed economic area, an area with high poverty, an area where I've kind of struggled to attract and recruit businesses to here I now have a wonderful new financial incentive tool that I can dangle in front of new companies, new firms coming into the area. Uh, one, of the one of the curious things I've, I, I, I've become interested in is what is this mean for retention and expansion efforts? I'm not a new business. I've 
own my business in this newly designated opportunity zone for 20 years. Uh, Is there a financial incentive, a financial benefit to me, the existing corporation, if I want to stay in the opportunity zone or even expand and hire new employees? That is one of the primary aspects of the clarification that that Treasury is undertaking in their hearing today. Um, you know, when you when you consider holding tangible property in an opportunity zone through a qualified opportunity zone business, uh, which the corporate lawyers are calling a quas B, which makes me laugh. Um, the the there's an original use component to that property. And so an existing business that makes no changes, no, there's probably not. Um, there's probably not a real benefit to you. That said, uh, if you're making reinvestments in your company, if you're buying new equipment, if you're changing buildings, if you're, uh, you know, kind of re-upping your your stake in the, in the business, then yes, there are ways in which to to take advantage of this of this uh, of this tax program. It's it's entity formation. I think the important thing to remember when you talk to investors um, is that. You can't hold paper, right? You can't take your 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 realized gain and and hold paper for a business. So no loans in that sense. Uh, it ha- you have to buy equity. Uh, now that said, there are of course ways to to structure those partnership agreements where there is a payback of the of the investment, and um, you, there are ways to get your money back out of it. But uh, by and large. Existing businesses, if they make no changes, no, there's probably not a benefit. If they are reinvesting in the space, if they are reinvesting in themselves, then yes, through the magic of entity formation um, and the and the vagaries of tax laws, yes, there are ways to take advantage of it. I, I appreciate that, and I think that's additional things for uh, local governments to think about as well as existing businesses. Uh, one of the problems we see in economic development are you know, what happens to existing businesses in distressed neighborhoods. Um, And sometimes we, in the world of economic development, get so focused on hitting that grand slam home run, you know, bringing in that new manufacturer, that new hotel chain, uh, that new major retailer, or that new major housing development. We tend to forget about the businesses uh, that have kind of slogged it out over the hard times in these economically distressed areas. Uh, So if you are listening to this podcast and you are an existing business located in an opportunity zone, if you are a local government with an opportunity zone, think about it. Think about how you can use an opportunity zone to retain and potentially expand those existing businesses uh, in addition to all those business recruitment efforts that so underline our economic development strategies. Uh, As a reminder, my name is Fred Steinman. I'm an assistant research professor with the University Center for Economic Development, and with me today is is Doug Thornley, an attorney with Holland and Hart. His contact information is provided next to the link for this podcast. And as Doug pointed out, uh, there are certain tricks of the trade that uh, he simply can't go into today. Uh, but if you are an existing business or a new business thinking about going into an opportunity zone, I strongly encourage you to contact Doug at your earliest convenience, set up a time to meet, and hopefully Doug can help you with whatever questions you have regarding the use of opportunity zone financing. Our 
final topic today is really kind of a catch-all, really kind of talking about some of the legal considerations. In the coming podcast, we'll have representatives from the Governor's Office of Economic Development, the Nevada Department of Business and Industry, uh, and even some individual firms come in and talk to us about opportunity zones. Uh, But as an attorney, you're certainly qualified and you have that unique perspective to maybe talk about some of the legal considerations that developers, private firms, maybe even the public sector need to consider. Uh, Maybe you could just kind of walk us through some of the really important uh, legal considerations that we have to think about in regards to opportunity zones. As an umbrella for that topic, Fred, I think, you know, what you could say is that it is exceedingly important to check all of the regulatory boxes from Treasury lest you lose the tax treatment that you're counting on. And so what that means is, like I said before, equity only. What that means is you need to you need to comply with the original use requirements for, for tangible property. Now, what that means for, say, like a dilapidated building, that's what we're trying to suss out through through Treasury right now. But but real estate in particular is the easiest to understand play, I think, for, for opportunity zones. Buying up tech startups is a is a is a different animal altogether. But in the real estate space, there's also a substantial improvement component to the to the project. So let's say you go buy a building um, and you buy it for a hundred thousand dollars. Within the next 31 months, you need to put $100,000 into that into that building uh, in the form of substantial improvements. And so Treasury has clarified that the land value that underlies that building doesn't count against that calculation. But you're not done just because you bought a building. There's still more money to be had. Now, it doesn't necessarily need to be a gain that was realized when you, when you make that improvement. But you do need to have uh, funding on the, on the other side to do some of the things that Treasury requires for you to get that tax treatment. Um, that's not to say that the use of debt affects um, or otherwise dilutes the benefit that you're receiving from participating in the program. Uh, certainly, like with a traditional real estate deal, the use of debt is is. I mean, it's part and parcel to how these things get done. What Doug's talking about there is an old adage in the world of economic development financing. If you're a developer, you never use your own yeah, money. use other people's money. Use other people's money. Uh, which actually is, is kind of the next point, and that is that you can leverage your interest in a qualified opportunity fund. You can pledge that as collateral on, on other deals or other loans. And so, um, you know, I think the, the most important thing is to have a plan, have it vetted by people who know what they're talking about and how to best protect you and your your interest in the tax treatment that that you're looking for in the opportunity zone and then you need to follow that plan right you need to check that box you need to follow your corporate formalities you need to do the things that the state and the federal government require you to do to be a business in good standing and to participate in the opportunity zone and that's not necessarily as easy as it sounds i guess that was Maybe one of my follow-up questions there is, you know, say you get a few years down the road in implementation of that plan and things change. Um, you know, either, you know, the demand for your product wasn't there or you figure out that making a different type of product or providing a different type of service is going to be more profitable for you. Uh, how does that impact uh, maybe some of those financial incentives um, or just the legal considerations that you have to take into account? Well, there's a there's a couple ways. Um, the first the first and most obvious is 
if if your investment in a particular fund isn't working or you've decided to shift gears, you can remove your 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 investment from that fund. You can divest yourself of that, and you can make that same investment in a different fund, and and potentially carry that tax treatment over and not lose the benefit. Um, on the other side of that, if it just doesn't work, then it just didn't work. And if a loss condition exists, then you'll be allowed to take a loss. And if a gain condition exists, then you'll just pay the taxes. Um, as a worst case scenario, you get out of it. The deferral was all right, but you're gonna you're gonna pay interest on the deferred. Um, on the deferred tax liability. So it's not the end of the world. It just, it's a contingency for which you need to plan. Yep. And I, I think that's an excellent point, uh, primarily because I think, especially in the public sector, you know, we think of economic development uh, or the revitalization of distressed communities as a fixed point somewhere in the future. When, when we get there, we're done. And that's just not how markets work. Uh, there is constant change. Um, and just because a neighborhood in a community looks a certain way today doesn't necessarily mean that community or that neighborhood is going to look that way 20 years in the future or even five years in the future. Um, so I think local governments in particular and maybe even the public at large and even the private sector interests need to understand that things may change as you implement that opportunity zone plan and approach. Uh, and you may have to look at alternative approaches or restructuring your deal or reforming your corporate entity uh, to fit a certain change that's occurred within the market. That's right. Uh, excellent, excellent points all the way around. Um, maybe kind of circle around, you know, back to the public sector and some of the considerations for them. This is mostly, uh, from what I understand, a federal tax incentive. Uh, doesn't seem to be a lot lot of impact um, or influence that state governments or local cities and counties can can really leverage or push uh, in terms of the use of opportunity zones. But are there any specific legal considerations that local governments, counties, cities, even state government agencies may have to consider moving forward? I don't think so. I mean, there are, there are prohibited uses. There are certain things that you can't invest in. Uh, and and get the tax treatment through an opportunity zone, like say a golf course, um, but you know really I think like we talked about the benefit to a local government to the state government, um, it it's almost economic development 101, right? It's it's the theory that a rising tide raises all boats. So we we incentivize investment in a in an economically distressed area, and hopefully. Uh, by way of example, we get some Class A office space. We fill it with a new and exciting company. The new and exciting company drives demand for restaurants and recreation activities and housing. Uh, and 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 through that process, we improve the tax base across that district. Yep. A new approach to an age-old question exactly. of how we build better communities and better neighborhoods uh, through economic development and economic growth and investment. Well, Doug, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us today. I don't know if you had any other things that you'd like to add to our podcast. No, this has been fun. Thank you very much for having me, friend. Well, fantastic. And hopefully we can have you back soon. Absolutely. Um, Doug is really a wealth of information, uh, not only when it comes to legal matters uh, regarding economic development and financing, uh, but just in terms of economic development and development in general. Uh, again, this has been Fred Steinman with the University Center 
for Economic Development with Doug Thornley, attorney at Holland and Hart. Doug's contact information is provided next to the link uh, for this podcast. Uh, I do strongly encourage you if you have questions about Opportunity Zones or if you would like uh, to hire Holland and Hart and Doug for their services, please reach out to him uh, and Holland and Hart. Uh, schedule a time to meet. Uh, Holland and Hart, an excellent firm uh, here throughout the state, um, and uh, we're happy to have Doug here today. Thank you. Thank you.